But this morning we're looking at chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. And what we want to see from this passage of Scripture is this. You are what you do. We love to have people assess us by what they hope. We hope they'll see or hope they'll think, but there's a reality. While I may talk a good game, if I'm not living the way that I talk, my talk is meaningless and pointless. Things aren't always what they appear to be. Now, I'm a nature nut. I love watching nature documentaries. And one of the nature documentaries I was watching was talking about parasitic brood nesters. And basically what that means is this. Um, A bird doesn't want to go to the trouble of building a nest. So when the mother and father of the bird species that they find a nest of is away, they lay their eggs in the nest. Now, one of them is the common cuckoo. We think of them as that little bird that comes out, you know, on the clock. But this, this is a bird that, that's pretty stealthy, pretty sneaky. And so it lays the egg, and actually the egg matures more quickly than the other eggs, and so it hatches. And it actually puts the other eggs on its back as just a baby bird and moves them out of the nest. And what's amazing is the mother bird will continue to come and feed the cuckoo until maturity, and then it flies away. You know, when I thought about that, um, I looked up some other references online just to see a little bit more about this bird, and it's actually called the wolves in sheep's clothing bird as well. And when I thought about that, I thought about this passage of Scripture that talks about false prophets. When we come to this passage of Scripture, we find the Lord warning His followers that there are many who will present themselves to be one thing, but in reality they're something quite different. They come across as people who have it together, who are followers of God, but in reality they have no relationship with God whatsoever. And here's the thing they do great harm to the church. So there's a warning to us. And that warning is beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Look at the 15th verse and look at what it says here in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know, just because someone claims to speak for God, it doesn't mean that they do. As a matter of fact, when we look throughout Scripture... We can see in both Testaments, the Old Testament and New Testament, there were those who would come in and claim to be a spokesman for God. But when we look at the fruit of what they produce, they do anything but produce things for God. They bring great harm to the people and they draw away followers after themselves rather than people who want to follow God. And the damage that they can do to the community of faith, be it the Old Testament or New Testament, is stark. So Jesus is warning His disciples that we have a responsibility to beware of these people, to not look at what they claim, but to look at what they do, because there is a great danger that they bring to the church family. As a matter of fact, 
Jude warned about these false teachers in a similar way. In Jude, the 12th verse, it says this, these, and it's speaking of the false teachers, are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves, their waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now, I wish Jude would have just said what he really thought about these false teachers, right? But we don't want to in any way minimize this. God gives us many warnings about false teachers in His Word. And here, the followers of Jesus Christ are instructed to look at these false teachers with a discerning eye, to make sure that you take what they say and compare it with the Word of God, but also take what they say and look at what they produce. That's why the passage of Scripture goes on after this warning about wolves in sheep's clothing to say this in the 16th verse, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now listen, when a false teacher comes into the church, they do not wear a sign or a t-shirt that says, yes, I am a false teacher. Very often what we find as they come into the church is they are eloquent, they are personable, they're highly intelligent, but what we find is while they present themselves to be all of these things, in reality they are not. They are hurtful, harmful to the church body. And so this is why Jesus warns His followers to be very discerning about the people that you follow. Watch out. Beware of them. Look at what the 16th verse goes on to say. After it tells us we recognize them by their fruits, it says this, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, here's the idea. A false teacher, while they may do some good things, we look at the harmful things that they produce, and it's startling. And here's the reason they can't produce the really good works, the really good fruit because it's against their nature. Here's the idea. You cannot gather grapes from thorn bushes. It's not within the nature of the thorn bush to produce grapes. It's designed to produce thorns, right? That's what they do. In the same way, figs can't be gathered from thistles. Figs come from a tree. Thistles are plants with little sharp barbs on them. God is telling us in this passage of Scripture, you are going to produce what you are. So when someone comes in and they're eloquent and they're brilliant and they're personable, we need to look and we need to ask ourselves, yes, this is a wonderful person, but who are they? We need to take time to see who they really are by what their character demonstrates. And this was Jesus' warning to His disciples, and I believe it's a warning to all followers of Jesus. Look at what a person does. Now, as we move on in this text, we come to verses 17 through 20. And when we pick it up in the 17th verse, Jesus continues this illustration of fruit. And what He shares with us is this, that bearing good or bad fruit shows one's true nature. Look at what He says. 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, what he's saying again is the fruit that is produced by the tree is the evidence of what the tree truly is. While we look at this passage of Scripture and we see in this passage of Scripture this warning about these false teachers and the fruit that they bear, we have to come to the illustration and and really look at it for what it's saying to us. Here's the idea. It isn't that the fruit is bad. It's that the tree that produces the fruit is bad. The fruit is bad because the tree is bad. That's the idea. The fruit is good because the tree is good. This is Jesus' illustration of how we are to assess people that come in and claim to be his followers, claim to be serving him, but truly are not. What are they producing? You know, as a pastor, I've seen people come into the church, and initially you look at them and you say, wow, what an asset to the church ministry. They're bright. They really seem to know the Word. They win friends and influence people quickly. What a blessing to have them as a part of our fellowship. Only to discover that for several of them, they have moved from church to church to church to church to church. And in each one of those moves, there was something horribly wrong with the church that they were in, so they moved to another church. Now, let me say this. There are good reasons for leaving a church that has gone awry doctrinally, right? It's good and it's right for us to do that. But there are some people where no church is good enough. Every single church that they go to, they they find an area of disagreement And they begin to foster a spirit of negativity around them as they talk about their disagreement with other people. And as a result, a trouble, a time of trouble gets stirred up in that church and they leave. And they persuade as many as they can to leave with them. And it follows them like a plague from church body to church body to church body to church body. And so what Jesus would say in an instance like this is, stop, look, and consider what this person is producing. Not what they're saying, but what they're producing. And if a person moving from church to church to church produces division, dissension, and bitterness, then they are not accomplishing the fruit that God would have His disciple accomplish. The Word of God calls us to look at results, and the results can often be detrimental to a church if we're not careful, if we don't look to the very core of what they're doing, not just what they're saying. Isn't it easy to learn how to say things that sound good, sound Christian, are all that we would hope that a person would say. You know, they check the right boxes. They can pass a theological exam. 
But what are they producing by their lives? How are they growing and ministering to the church body? In this case, it would have been the kingdom. Now, I'm sure that what Jesus had in mind as he was sharing this were the Pharisees. The Pharisees had all of the outward appearances of being spiritual, of being religious, but when you really looked at their works and what they produced, it was divisive, it was hurtful, it was damaging to those who would seek God and try to know Him. So this is Jesus' warning here to be careful in the way that we examine this fruit. Look at verse 19. This is the warning. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, when Jesus was talking about these trees and the kinds of fruit that they produced, when He uses the word bad fruit, it's a word that means rotten. Uh, It's a word that, that means decayed or unusable. There are those who come into the body of Christ, and the things that they produce are not helpful or healthy for the church body. And here's the idea. God is the one who will ultimately hold them accountable. You see, just because I might claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that I am. If I do not have a life that is consistent with what I claim, I need to ask myself, did I really come into a relationship with God? Do I really know Him? Jesus is saying this about these false teachers, and I believe that these false teachers weren't even sincere. I think that they were people who were coming in to wreak havoc and to bring damage to the church for their own purposes in order to accomplish their own matters. But the problem was terrible damage, and God is going to hold them accountable. Listen, if you do not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are thrown into the fire. The Scripture is speaking of condemnation here when it comes to a person who claims to be something that they are not, who has never personally come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the next part of this passage. When we come to verses 21 through 23, we see the logical conclusion. Jesus has warned us about these false teachers. He has told us that they will come in like wolves in sheep's clothing. He has told us that we discern who they are by what they produce, what they're doing, the harm that they do to the kingdom people of God. But then we come to verse 21, and what we find is this. Belonging to God is more than just an outward assent that something is true. Now, when we come to this 21st verse, I have probably had to counsel more people about this section of Matthew than uh, many other sections that we find in the Gospels. The fear of some believers is, what if I really don't know Jesus? What if I thought I was a Christian all along, and then when I appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I find out, whoops, I got it wrong. I wasn't really a Christian at all. And they have this interpretation because when they look at this, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Their fear is, look, I 
<laughs> I've messed up. I've, I've sinned. I've done some wrong things. And what if, what if I'm really not a believer? Listen, that is not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. What he's sharing with us is this. The premise of the people that he is talking about in this passage of Scripture is you can work your way, earn your way to God. You just say the right things and do the right things and you're in. Really what they're saying is I can work my way into a relationship with God. If I, on the outside, check all of the boxes and say all of the appropriate things, then God will accept me. Look at how they frame what they're saying. Look at verse 22. On that day they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, or do many mighty works in your name? Now, they're listing some impressive things, aren't they? They're talking about activity, but not one of them says as they speak to the Lord, didn't I trust you as my Savior? Didn't I place my faith in you? Didn't I embrace Jesus as my Savior and my hope for salvation? No. What they're saying is, I come into your presence because of all of these good things that I did in your name. This is not a way for anyone to come into a relationship with God. God never looks at what we do. And then if our good things kind of outweigh our bad things, then we're in. That's not the way we come into a relationship with God. You see, the issue is this. Even if I do some good things, if I'm counting on just those good things to get me into right relationship with God, I am a sinner And I will still fall short. And where I fall short, that nullifies the good things that I've done. It cancels them. I need to come into a relationship with Jesus by trusting Him as my Savior. Counting on the fact that He has died on the cross for my sin. What is alarming to me about this passage of Scripture is this. There can be a cultural Christianity. And what I mean by that is we can take on Christianity as our culture. My family is Christian, so therefore I am Christian. But we never come to the place to where we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior personally between us and Him. We learn the right formulas. We learn how to say and do religious stuff, but I've never come to the place to where I look and I say, I am trusting Christ as my only hope of salvation, and all of these works, all of these things that I've done, they do not bring me into right standing with God. We need to have a personal faith in Jesus. We need to believe in Him. So this passage of Scripture is warning against that. Something else, in many of the commentaries I read, addressing Jesus as Lord, we think of the post-resurrection address of Jesus as Lord. We think of that in terms of a statement of His deity. We think of it in terms as far as a statement of, of His power and authority. 
But prior to the resurrection, many in Jesus' day, Lord would have been the equivalent of rabbi or good teacher. Some of the commentators pointed out that there are many people who will have a respect for God, a respect for Jesus. But in that respect, they have never come to the place to where they have embraced Him as Savior. It's one thing to look at Jesus and say, wow, He is really awesome. He's really wonderful. It's kind of a good thing to believe in this good teacher, this wonderful person. But unless we come to the place to where my personal faith trusts Him as the one who died on the cross to make provision for my sin, respecting Him has nothing to do with where I am in a relationship with the Father. I can say these things. I can do some amazing things. I mean, look at the things that are mentioned here. Prophesying in His name, casting out demons in His name, doing miracles, mighty works in His name. All of those things can be done by an individual and attributed to God. But even that doesn't put you in right standing, right relationship with Him. We've seen some people who claim to be casting out demons who claim to be healing people. We've seen slickly produced television shows where a person who gains a huge audience comes in and wows people with what they say and what they do, only to find out that they've led secret lives that were as demonstrably sinful as the world around us, sometimes even more perverted and twisted than the culture around us. It's not what we say. It's not the outward actions. Here is the idea. Works or deeds are a demonstration of a relationship with the king. They don't bring you into that relationship with the king, but they demonstrate whether or not you have one. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making in this passage of Scripture. We don't want to look at just what a person presents. God sees into the heart, and he knows whether or not you have that right standing, that right relationship with him. Which brings us to the next part of this passage. When we look, by the way, sorry, that's, uh, yes, this is the right slide, sorry. It says this, build your house on solid ground. Now, the illustration that Jesus uses at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is really a question to those who have listened to this whole sermon, right? And he has given important teaching. And what he's saying to the people is, look, the teaching that I've given you, this can be something that gives you substance for life. It's a foundation upon which you can build. And so Jesus invites his followers to do this. For the people who say, I want to come through works, Jesus says, depart, I never knew you. You never had that personal relationship with me. I never listened to how I come into that relationship. I just did my own thing. But here, Jesus is saying there's a foundation for our lives that we can build upon, and they are the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so what he shares with us is the importance of building our lives on the right foundation. Look at verses 24 
and 25. And look at what he says about building on the truth of Christ's words and how wise that is. It says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us something very important for us to understand. I need to build my life on the foundational truths that Jesus gives me in his word. I'm not to just talk about it, I'm to build on it. It's to inform my decisions, my behavior, my direction, my values. All of those things are to be guided by the truth of Jesus Christ. And here's his promise. When we build our lives on that foundational truth that he's given us, when the tough times come, the rain, the floods, the winds, we will stand. You know, this past week, I saw a beautiful house along a river on the news, on piers, and they had built a wonderful structure. The upper part of this house was amazing, but the floods came. And as the water rushed by the piers at this house, they wanted to be as close to the river as they possibly could get. As the river rushed by and eroded the soil around the piers, they started to give. And this million-dollar home with a beautiful upper structure was washed away and is somewhere downstream today as we speak, everything, everything they had washed away. Listen, when we build our foundation on the rock, that doesn't happen. The storm will come, the floods will come, the wind will come, but we have a foundation that gives us the ability to continue, and that is the truth of Jesus Christ. The world around us will change immensely, but The Lord Jesus Christ and His truth never changes. It's always there. So Jesus invites us to build our house on that rock so that we can withstand the trials, the struggles, the difficulties that life throws at us. But there's another approach. That approach is building on shifting sand. It's just plain foolish. Look at what verse 26 says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Listen, two approaches to being exposed to God's truth. We hear God's truth and accomplish God's truth by obedience, which demonstrates that we are building our lives on the foundation of that truth. Or we hear the words, but we don't heed them. We do our own thing, in one ear, out the other, and never becomes a part of our lives, of who we are. And when that happens, we have a life that is subject to devastation and destruction. We will sink in those sands. 
The warning is this, and it's crystal clear. Don't be like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Because when the wind blows and the floods come, it's going to fall. And and I love the way Jesus frames this. And great was the fall of it. God wants us to build our lives on substance. There are so many things that can come into our lives that promise to be substance. They promise to offer a better way than the way Jesus has for us going forward. And we buy in. We embrace it. We say, yeah, maybe I should try that out. Jesus is telling us that His truth is what we build our lives on. That's the way we find real meaning in our lives. And something that will hold us during the storms that life will throw at us. Sand sinks. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, Rob had bought a new house a couple of years before that, and they had these little rinky-dink concrete steps where when you opened the screen door, you had to back down a couple of steps, open the door, and then you could walk in. And I said, that's not good enough for my grandkids. So I decided I'm going to build a porch. Well, those concrete steps were right up against the house, and I thought, man, I don't want to get a sledgehammer and beat the tar out of that thing. You know, maybe there's a better way. So I looked, and there was like a little L bracket on the, the house that held that um, stoop in place. And so I thought, well, I'll get a crowbar and at least move it away from the house so that I can build the porch at some point. Well, guess what? It rained. And Cape Cod is where he lives, and, and the, the soil's really sandy. So I walk out the door in the morning to try and figure out what I'm going to do. And guess what? Those steps sunk about that far. And I thought, score. I'm just going to build right over that thing, man. I don't have to break it up or move it or anything. God will take care of it as it sinks further and further into the sand. Now, when I put the new steps on, remembering that, I sunk the posts deep into the sand and put some concrete around the posts so that would hold and then connected the back part to the boards of the house And it's not going anywhere. You know, when we look at life, it's the same thing, man. The life around us is sinking sand. It can't produce what we need or what we want out of life. It promises to do so all the time. But there's nothing there for us. And listen, no matter how fancy the structure is over that foundationless house, It's going to sink because of the nature of the foundation. God wants us to have our foundation on the teachings and the truths of Jesus Christ. Last part of this passage. Matthew makes a comment about the Sermon on the Mount in just verses 28 and 29. And what he says basically is, It's best to follow the authoritative teaching of Jesus. Look carefully at what he says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. 
When we look at this passage, it says, first of all, the people were astonished. And the Greek word that is translated astonished is a word that means to strike someone out of their senses. To just knock them so hard they're dumbfounded. You know, we'll read the sayings of Jesus when we say, wow, that was pretty neat, you know. But we've had exposure to it. And sometimes we don't appreciate the truths that Jesus shares. For this crowd, it was the first time they had heard teaching like this. They had heard all of the Pharisees who would say one thing but live another. And there was no moral authority to what they were saying because they saw them. They were proud. They were mean-spirited. They were critical of others. And they lived hypocritically. Now here comes Jesus with a life that backs up His words. And so He's sharing these truths with the people and they look at it and they say, wow, this is something that's really worth listening to because we can see that it's authoritative. They could see that there was substance to it. Not like the Pharisees who made rules for everybody else but didn't follow the same rules themselves. They had exemptions. Not like the Pharisees who had that outside-in approach that said you can be right with God if you live like I live. But in reality, there was no substance there. And the people knew it. They could see it by their fruits. Listen, God wants us to look to the authoritative, true teachings of Jesus Christ. They have authority in our lives. And you know what authority means? It means it has control, direction, that we are coming under it and following what it says. This is how God wants us to approach God's Word. So we need to follow. Not a false teacher who's articulate and able to say amazing things, but not really that amazing when you look at the substance because you boil it down and there's really nothing there. Jesus is something else. He promotes teaching that has real substance for our lives. And most of all, His way leads to life. Believe in Jesus Christ and He will transform you and change you into a person who has good fruit that produces what God would have you produce. You can't go at opposite by saying, I'll be good and then ultimately I'll be good enough for God to accept me. It doesn't work. But when you come humbly to Jesus Christ and place yourself under His authority and seek to have Him lead your life and trust Him as the one who can change your life, it's radically different. You know, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I had to ask myself, what foundation am I building my life on? And what's the evidence of it? Now, after this morning's sermon, everybody would say, I'm building my foundation on the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bedrock of His truth. 
But here's the thing. If that's what I'm building my life on, it's being shown by what I do. Is what I'm doing, demonstrating, I'm building my life on that foundation. My buying into the false teaching of the world around me. Am I allowing what I see in media and listen to in music and interacting with friends, am I allowing that to be the director of my thought processes? Or am I running it through the filter of God's word, God's truth, and living in light of that? Am I building my house on the bedrock or on the shifting sand? That's really the question we have to ask. Now this morning, I would like to remind you that the only way we can build our life on the foundation of Jesus' words is to know Him. I won't understand or embrace the teachings of Jesus until I have a personal relationship with Him. And that personal relationship simply comes by faith. Scripture tells us that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And believing on Him very simply means I trust that He died on the cross for my sins. And by His dying on the cross for my sins, He opened the way for me to know and come into relationship with the Father. My responsibility? Trust in God's provision. And seek him to make the changes in me that he sees fit. That's the idea of coming into a right relationship with God. And the way that we do that is just talking to God, expressing to God that this is the kind of relationship I want with you. I want to know you through the Jesus that you sent, who lived among us, died on the cross for my sins, rose again, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's how we make sure that we're building our lives on the right foundation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. and Thank you for the illustrations that were given by our Lord as to how we can live life by knowing you and following the one that you sent to teach us the right way but also to change us so that we can follow those teachings. And God, my prayer this morning is that each person in this room will know you and come into that right standing with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.